BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, this time coming to you from an actual office in Washington, D.C. Today's episode was ripped from several recent headlines posting that ESG may be an antitrust violation. The crux of such articles is the opinion that climate activists use ESG to drive investment to preferred investments regardless of what might benefit investors, and that this effort violates laws designed to protect competition in the marketplace. Often, what you'll hear is those described as antitrust laws. Joining me today to answer the question posed by the headlines and discuss what may be driving them is my partner in our Washington, D.C. offices, Joe Astoyich. Joe Helms, our antitrust practice, and has been a lead trial counsel in dozens of antitrust matters, including bet the company price fixing and monopolization litigation in the U.S. So he's just the right person to address what can be fairly described as a novel way of looking at ESG. Joe, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, Megan. I'd like to start with a level set from, for our listeners. Since this is an environmental podcast, we don't often get to talk about antitrust. So Joe, what does it mean for something to be an antitrust violation? So there are two fundamental antitrust laws that are likely to be applicable, potentially, right? Both come from the Sherman Act. Sherman Act Section 1 prohibits contracts, combinations, and conspiracies in restraint of trade. Statute was enacted in the 1890s. It's effectively about as vague and broad as could be, but it's been interpreted by dozens and dozens of dozens of Supreme Court cases, appellate cases, and hundreds of district court cases over the years. The second part of Sherman Act is Section 2, which prohibits unilateral conduct, monopolization, the willful acquisition or maintenance of monopoly power. I think for today's purposes, we're mostly going to be focusing on Section 1, that is joint conduct between two or more companies that might restrain trade. So it might be a conspiracy to restrain trade. That seems to be what the public articles are suggesting may be going on in the ESG world. Yeah. And now that you bring that up, what is the connection to ESG? Because when we think of ESG, we think of typically individual companies providing information to the marketplace about their long-term vision, what their plans are on a variety of fronts. Yeah, exactly. So it's an unusual, so there's nothing inherently about ESG investing that raises Sherman Act Section 1 issues, obviously. However, there is an ecosystem, right? So any kind of project to create a clean energy plant, for example, often requires multiple players to invest, to participate in the project. You may have actual financing and others that are participating, and then you have people who are making the investments and then operating the facilities. So almost by definition, it's pot potentially may raise the prospect of a joint conduct across different members of the ecosystem, which theoretically could implicate Section 1. Is that what's driving these articles? So there was a fairly high-profile opinion piece in a major newspaper that suggested that this was potentially the, 
the biggest conspiracy in the history of antitrust conspiracies that essentially various players in the ecosystem all kind of vaguely alleged, right, nothing specifically identified, were somehow conspiring to basically funnel money to support clean energy projects as opposed to hydrocarbon projects and traditional petrochemical and other projects. I, I think what's driving that, at least on the face of it, now granted, this is an opinion piece in a newspaper, but what's driving it is more of a political concept than it is hard facts, right? There was nothing in the opinion piece that set out any particular fact that suggested an actual conspiracy to restrain trade. And if you kind of take a step back and think about it. So first question I ask whenever somebody raises a question is what's going on with supply and demand? So energy is at core a fungible product, right? You can make it using a variety of means, coal, nuclear, uh, water, uh, solar, you know, you name it, hydrocarbon, obviously. So, so by definition, adding supply into the market, whether it is solar, whether it is wind, whether it is new, new nuke plant, whatever it is, is adding supply. That's pro-competitive on its face, at least in the first instance. In addition, if you think about, I think what's going on is there's an invest, there's a push to invest in clean energy in part to disrupt older incumbent technologies, coal, for example, right? Just like shale disrupted coal. So so we have both supply being added into the market, which is generally pro-competitive and good for, for customers. And then you have a disruption going on. So a newer technology is just trying to displace the older technologies. That's generally pro-competitive too. So on the first instance, you kind of scratch your head and go, that doesn't sound like a conspiracy to restrain trade. It sounds like an effort to increase competition, right? So I think that's the first way of thinking about it. Then if you think about who are the various players in the space, you have a wide range of players. You have a company that is, is trying to start a clean energy farm of some sort, right? A solar farm or wind farm or whatever it is. So they're trying to add supply in. You have its investors, which are working with the company, right? Just like any other shareholder or any other financer. So are they really even competing against each other? Probably not. They're working together. So in antitrust parlance, we'd call that a vertical relationship. It is effectively a supplier-customer type relationship or an investor-owner type relationship. Generally, that's less problematic under Sherman Act Section 1. The, the real core of Sherman Act Section 1 is competitor agreements to restrain trade, but companies almost by definition need investors to finance need outside financing to, to accomplish any kind of goal. So that's less problematic under the antitrust laws. That is really helpful. But we know that there are marketplace sort of, you've just explained how it's individual relationship versus collaboration across competitors. Aren't there instances where there is overlap or there at least could be perceived coordinated efforts? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so as with any type of investment thesis, you may have to go out and make a proposal and say, gee, are you willing to invest in this project? You know, another way of thinking of it is there was a high profile CEO from, from a money manager, essentially, who issued sort of almost like call to arms publicly and said, 
Here's what we think is an important investment thesis, clean energy and other ESG objectives, and essentially set the tone for others in the industry openly and said, we think this is the way CEOs should now view their businesses. So if you want our money <laughs> effectively, this is the, the program you should follow. And openly asked others to pitch in and say other type of money managers as well to pitch in on that. So that was an effort to create a joint position on something. So theoretically, that could implicate Sherman X Section 1. On the other hand, each company is making its own decision, right? So fund manager A is making a decision based on where it thinks its shareholders and other investors want to put their money. Fund manager B is making an investment based on what it thinks is the best place to put it. They are allowed to talk, to to discuss common objectives, just like any shareholder, right? Every public company out there has a proxy vote and every shareholder has a say in that. You can take a common position. That doesn't really implicate the Sherman Act. You are not competing to, to deploy your money in that sense. So uh, I think it's very unlikely that that would create problems. Simply saying, I think this is a valuable investment. This is clean energy is a better investment for, for a variety of reasons is very unlikely to restrain competition in a meaningful way. So Joe, ESG is super important for companies in multiple different forums. So important that you've actually had questions regarding these headlines. What practical advice can you share with listeners? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think as a practical matter, it's good for companies to think through the issues to make sure they don't inadvertently go down a path that could create risk, right? From an antitrust perspective, so here's what I would say is the way to think about it, at least the way I think about it, right? So first is just as a matter of process, are you making the decision on your own as a company? In other words, are your executives sitting in a conference room or on Teams in this day or Zoom or whatever in this day and age, and are you internally deciding what you think is best for your company? If you're doing that on your own, then you're acting independently. Right? So Sherman Act Section 1 is only implicated if you're acting collaboratively in a contract combination or conspiracy with another player. If you are not, if you are consulting others, are you talking with a competitor? So you'd have to be competing to invest, for example, in a certain type of energy, probably unlikely to happen. If you are talking to another company in the space that is potentially a supplier, so for example, you're a customer and you're thinking of changing your energy purchase to make it carbon neutral, well, then you're talking to a supplier potentially, right? So you're in a vertical relationship. So Sherman Act Section 1, again, the language is so broad in the statute, but the courts have created well-established doctrine at this point. If you agree with a competitor, to restrict supply or to raise price, that's per se illegal. The agreement itself is illegal. But if you're agreeing with someone else outside your organization, an investor, a supplier, or a customer, that's a vertical relationship. And that is judged under a more lenient standard. So it is judged under the rule of reason, which means the agreement itself is neutral. You actually look at what happens in the marketplace. So go back to something I said at the beginning. If you are agreeing with an investor, gee, that's a noble goal. Let's invest in clean energy. You are in a vertical relationship, right? 
and you are adding supply into the market, right? Or you're switching to a disruptive technology for whatever reason. So you're very, very unlikely to really implicate Sherman Act Section 1 and particularly the per se violation of Sherman Act Section 1. That is price fixing. That is bid rigging. That is stuff that we read about occasionally that the Department of Justice criminally prosecutes, but it's very unlikely to play a role in this space. Not, you know, it's not impossible, but the opinion piece at least didn't set out any concrete specifics that suggested anything of the sort. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And Joe, I can't thank you enough for coming on and going through this with me today, because certainly those headlines were eye-catching and not something I had thought of. But you know I'm not going to let you off of this podcast without asking. So, Joe, is it fair to say that ESG likely is not an antitrust violation? If I had to say, without having any specific facts, right, I would say, yeah, likely not. So, it's a, look, it's a highly fragmented industry. You have lots and lots of players that are trying to disrupt the supply side of that. Wind farms, solar, you know, just, there are millions of players out there. Then you have even more investors or potential investors, everybody from money managing funds, right, to mutual funds, to individual investors, to banks, to, you know, you name it, right? So highly fragmented. And then you have even more fragmented, potentially customers, right? So, so could players who are competing somehow forge an agreement in there that might create an issue? Yeah, it's possible, but I think it's not on its face. It's not an industry that sort of has a structure that really suggests that it's akin to saying, well, prior to 1970, say, or 1965, was there a conspiracy to support hydrocarbon or petrochemical, right? I don't think anybody would say there was a conspiracy to do that. You'd say it was a bunch of individual decisions on what was available. Did it displace whale oil in the 19th century? Sure, it did. But was it a conspiracy to replace whale oil? Probably not, right? So I think it's a tough sell. Now, the question is whether or not I can work a conspiracy to displace whale oil into the title of this episode. That is the real question now. Joe, thank you for joining me today. This has been great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. For listeners that would like more information about our antitrust practice or to discuss more headlines with Joe, information is available in our episode notes. With that, I'm Megan Burge. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.